Herzlich Willkommen zum Modellansatz, der mathematische Podcast aus Karlsruhe mit Gudrun Täter und Sebastian Ritterbusch. Everybody. Today I'm speaking to Stephanie Salomon. That's my German pronunciation of your name. Maybe we just start with you telling everybody who you are. And then afterwards, I will explain why we talk. Sure. Um, so my name is Stephanie Salomon. I'm the professor and chair of mathematics at the University of Portland in Portland, Oregon. Is there anything else you want to know? <laughs> Maybe if you're married and have kids. I am. I'm married to John. We've been married since 2005. Um, I have three little boys. Uh, Milo is 13, Jude is 10, and Theodore is eight. Yeah, thank you. The funny thing is that, of course, uh, usually I am not asking that at all. Mm -hmm. Very often, even if I know that persons on the other side um, have children, But um, beforehand, they might have told me that they don't want to talk about this. They just want to present their professional side, which sure. is not with children. But um, we met on on Twitter. That's right. And um, yeah, and so the thing uh, which I found uh, first, and then I found you, was that you prepared a workshop uh, for Ellieship. And um, probably most of the people who are listening in don't really know what we mean with Ellieship. But the point is that, you know, I'm working in the German academic system as a mathematician since 1992. And before that, I was a student in the system. Mm -hmm. And um, as students, we have um, mostly half uh, female and half male students in mathematics, in all parts of mathematics. And then during the PhD, the number goes down and then... For junior professors, it even goes down on postdocs and um, on the professorial level, even after seeing this happening like 25 years in my own life. The numbers go up, but they're very, very, very slowly. And the question is, what can one do? So in the sense that what can I do? What can my university do, my faculty do? What can the mathematicians all together do? And um, the question is not such a simple question. No, it's a really hard question. Yeah. And <laughs> now I was speaking about my experience in Germany and um, just from looking uh, to other countries, the situation often was kind of the same. So how is the situation on your side? Um, so I would say I was a college student in the 90s. Um, I was often and I was a mathematics major and often one of the only women in the class, maybe, maybe there were two or three of us out of 30 or 35, but never more than that. Um, I think we saw at the time more students who were studying math, more women who were studying math, um, were considering, and I was one of them, professions in secondary teaching, high school teaching, um, And many of us, myself included, were actively discouraged from going to graduate programs in mathematics um, for lots of reasons. Um, and I don't want to assume it was always because of, of who I was and my identity, but I know that in multiple cases it was because I was a woman. Um, my first run through graduate school, um, there were nine graduate students in my year and only two men. So that was a really unusual and empowering situation. And then when I went uh, for my PhD at a much larger program, um, women were certainly in the minority, to the extreme minority in many cases, many, in many of the areas of mathematics. Um, and, and certainly we're still seeing that. Um, I think I'm very thankful for where I, where I work now. Um, in my department, there are um, several women who are tenured faculty members or who are full-time instructors. Um, and what we see as the outcome of that is that we have a far greater percentage of, of women who are math majors than, than, than others. Um, 
that doesn't mean I think we're doing well in all areas. I think that we could um, we could really we could definitely make a lot of headway um, hiring and retaining faculty of color. Um, but we have yeah. done well as a department in supporting the growth of women in the mathematical sciences. Um, that said, in in 2016, I was I became the first chair of the mathematics department who was not male. <laughs> it had always been a man. Um, I was the first woman tenured in the math department in 2011. Um, and, and in that way, I see um, just how far behind the community is. And I think that the community continues to see things that are outrageous and frustrating and sad about gender inequity and racial inequity um, in what I would hope would be a much more welcoming community. But it turns out hoping that it's welcoming and inclusive is not enough. <laughs> you can't just wish it to be so. Um, and I think that that's sort of what has, um, I think radicalized is, is too extreme a word, but it's what has made me want to do work towards um, increasing the inclusion of, of people who have diverse identities and have diverse perspectives. And I think this is really to the benefit of the mathematical community. Yes. That's the thing that um, you work as a woman in, a, in, in an environment which doesn't really welcome you. And um, it takes a while to find out um, what's really happening. So what, where there are the slight differences in everyday behavior and then bigger things. And then afterwards, you also recognize that mostly people around you are white, able-bodied. Mm -hmm. They come from very um, backgrounds where already the parents had a university education and things like that. And so, so many voices are missing yes. in what we are doing as mathematicians. And the funny thing is that, um, so to say with my podcast, I'm always trying to explain that mathematics is very important. It's everywhere. Everybody needs it. Yes. And if the science is so important, then it's even worse that so many voices are not included in developing this. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's our job to amplify those voices. It's not, it's not the job of our our colleagues of color to shout yeah yeah because they are even in a worse situation than we are yeah and and as far as my identities go um i am in the majority in almost everything with the exception of the fact that i'm a woman Yeah, that's always so funny that you speak um, very often sort of like the political speak is about minorities and then, then women are included in that. Right. Yeah, not a minority at all. Well, and certainly, like, is it really surprising that we have, um, that we have more women studying mathematics than men at the University of Portland? Well, it's, if you look at college demographics, maybe not because so many more of our students are women. Um, and I don't mean to suggest that, that it's a binary there, but I think when we're looking at the community as a whole, we're still not seeing re adequate representation even, certainly not equitable representation of, of women and, and people with intersectional identities in the mathematical sciences. And that's not because of some deficit on them it's because the community has actively worked to not to exclude yeah for a very no. long time yes the thing is um, uh, why we are talking mm -hmm. <laughs> if it's already nice to talk to you on whatever <laughs> i think it's it's uh, it's so nice um but um the the topic which brought me to asking you for this conversation was allyship And I kind of jumped over explaining what this is because I wanted to prepare the field a little bit. Sure. And preparing the field means to talk about exclusion and not welcoming culture. And of course, um, the things which we both are doing and also other female colleagues are doing, we're trying our best to network and to change the situation and to encourage other women, things like that. And to a certain degree, this works. But um, the interesting thing is to see that 
things work much faster if men are involved. That's at least what I was observing uh, during a long time. And allyship means um, to show to our male colleagues how our life as female colleagues looks like and make them move. Yes, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Yes, make them move. Yeah, because of course they can't do our work as we would do it, but they can do their part in the work. Yeah, and I think that was really um, part of of why um, we worked. Um, I worked on this program. Um, it's called Picture Mathematician, and I worked in collaboration with um, Stan Yoshinobu, who's a professor at the University of Toronto. Um, and really, um, our goal was to bring together and then support and empower men who were interested in being and ready to be allies for um, people who had been marginalized in mathematics, higher ed mathematics, because of their gender. Um, and this is a really big ask. And we recognize that um, even from the outset, that asking people to set to asking people who are not being marginalized to step in and be active participants in the work is a big ask. And yet we also know that um, it's not possible to do it without them. And this is where I kind of dig in like a toddler. And I think just like I want to do this my own self. Um But having had toddlers, like this is this is the fight that, like, as the rational person in the room, you you can't you can't argue with a toddler in that in that mindset. They're not going to get to do it. They're not going to be successful. And so I recognize that as much as I want to have women kind of rise up and and make this better, we, we can't do it alone. And so, sense, right? You just have to lean in. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. But there's, I think there's also it's like, not it's not enough. And let's recognize, yeah, like that's, that, that really is reductive to say, oh, just lean into it. It's like, but I am and nothing's moving. Like I can't, can't move it. Um, so how do we help people who are not facing the barriers because they, because of their identities first recognize that the barriers exist And then do something about them. It's like you, you don't you don't always feel your own tailwind. And so how you have to recognize first that something is wrong, that something is inequitable, and then resolve to do something about it. But it's very it's it's very hard to recognize that if it's not impacting you directly. So how do we show people what's going on? in a way that moves them to act, as you said, as it gets them to move. Um, and so we, we used um, the documentary Picture a Scientist as a model for this and had participants in the workshop watch it prior to the workshop. Um, it's, a, it's a documentary that's very powerful and um, centers the work of women scientists, not just mathematicians, but scientists in general. Um, and part of, I think, what's powerful for me is seeing how, how the narrative that you think is going to be just impacting one small group trickles down to so many other groups. And it's because they came together, because they found ways to support each other, but also had drawn in some allies, um, some, some men, drawn in some men to support their work and, and then were successful. And um, I don't think that diminishes the work of the women at MIT. But it's a pretty amazing story. Um, And what we hoped was that it would lead people to see that this was not a one-off problem or a new problem, right? This is something that that people have been fighting for a very long time. Um, I remember as a graduate student, I was a 
participant in the the Women in Mathematics program at the Institute for Advanced Study at Princeton. And Karen Uhlenbeck was there and she gave a keynote and she talked about getting through her doctoral program with a handful of other women and assuming that because they had done it, that all of a sudden the gates would open and women would just sort of flood through and 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 that didn't happen and that hasn't happened. And I have to think that it's it's not because women don't want to do it. It's because we're not supported in doing it. Yes. Yes, of course, it's really... Oh, I can't hear you. No. Um, of course, um, it's really good to have this um, film because in producing this film, they really thought hard how to present it to find the protagonists which could really tell the story in a meaningful way, in a way that you can relate, but it doesn't really, you know... It shouldn't be so exaggerated and that you have the feeling that these are just special cases mm -hmm. um, and also to have somehow in the end a positive message because otherwise everybody would just leave the picture stay sad and cry in the corner yeah. <laughs> which is of course not what the persons who did the film wanted to achieve right no it's a message of of um, it is a message really of allyship. It's a message of working together um, and finding finding the right team of people, right? And what's really amazing is that when you're when you're in groups of of mathematicians, and one story starts, the next story like there's there's so many stories of this and and the documentary um captures that in a way that's so powerful and that so many people can say yeah no i've that all sounds accurate i just watched it with my mom and i don't think i don't think she realized that while i well i can't have the experience of a of a black woman chemist right for many many reasons um there are still lots of parts of her story that resonate right and um the understanding that we have now of of implicit bias and explicit bias um and the ways that we can combat those or change people's minds um becomes uh, becomes a mandate it, it's something you can't look away from once you've seen it um i think the the storytelling aspect of the film is really compelling um because it's it's addressing an audience that is compelled by data yeah and instead saying there is data And here are some humans, right? And I think what you respond to is the humanity. And so um, that was our hope, was that we could see the humanity in the protagonists and understand how, how we are them and how we can help. We used, um, there's a... <sighs> There's a character in the character. He's a real human being. There's a person. <laughs> he's just a person. Um, Adam Lewis is is a member of of. Uh, he's a, a cast member. I don't know what you call people. The people in a documentary. Um, but he plays a role of of the friend who didn't step in, right? Who saw that his friend was being mistreated, abused, humiliated over and over again. And um, either, and I, I don't want to guess his motivations, but either didn't recognize that he could step in or did but didn't want to because of the threat to his career or didn't know how, 
right? There's lots of reasons people don't step in. But uh, because this workshop was for mathematicians, right, we used him as, a, as the we use bracket Adam as an equivalence class of people, right? Because that's language that speaks to us as mathematicians. Yeah, true. And I think what we recognized in planning the workshop is that um, everyone, not everyone, but many, many people fall into those kinds of equivalence classes and fall out. We're never always Adam, in the equivalence class of Adam, we're, but we can fall in and out of that equivalence class. Um, and so we can talk about that and kind of separate it from ourselves and depersonalize it, um, which is a good starting point to say that people like Adam, right? How might they respond? Um, just to make it, and then move into something that requires more vulnerability to say, what could I, what could I personally do? Um, one of the things about Adam is that's hard is that it's not clear that he ever really understands what's going on. And he comes up over and over in the film. But one of the things that we have to break down is the power that equivalence class of Adam has at different career stages, right? How might someone respond if they were Adam as a graduate student or a pre-tenure faculty or a, a later career faculty, maybe an associate professor or professor or department chair or dean, right? And what are the responsibilities that come with that power? Because I understand don't agree with, but I understand not wanting to speak out as a, as a bystander, as an ally, if the bystander is also in a, a position of, um, of less power, right? Because I think as much as we recognize that speaking out can be, and as, as Jane Willingbring, Dr. Willingbring says in the film, like the women who speak out about this behavior get banished from science, right? That can happen to allies as well. That's part of the community's problem. So we can talk about the role of power and positionality using this equivalence class rather than calling out a certain person in the room or calling out ourselves, but saying, what positionality, what role does it play in this conversation? What could this person say that would be impactful? It's, it, again, that's a hard question. That's a hard conversation. Yes, but there's a really big advantage if you can ask this question at a place where it's detached from the problem. So you are not in the situation um, being there on the field observing the problem mm -hmm. and having to, to decide in the moment how do I behave with all the emotion involved. Yes, That's the right. The fear, the anger, and maybe trying to look away and thinking she handles this quite well, I shouldn't intrude, mm -hmm. Yeah, things like that. So if you can just detach yourself from the situation and have room and space and time and collaborators to think about the situation, how it could be. This is so helpful. Yeah, how might I practice this? I mean, yeah. right, in, and I, I think you're absolutely right, doing it in a space that doesn't have the emotional charge in it um, and planning what you might say makes it easier to respond in the moment. It's still hard. But it still has to happen because what we're seeing is, is time after time, people being discouraged from considering this as a career. And the loss isn't, I mean, there is a huge loss to that individual, but we also lose their, their mind and their thoughts and their, the ways that they could improve our community and that we could partner with them. It's a loss to everyone every time this happens.
And I, I don't know, I don't know that I have an answer, a solution to that. But for me, sort of awareness comes first. And as a department chair and as a professor, how might I mentor newer faculty in this work? Right? Those are questions I can answer. I know where I am, I know where I stand, but how can I be a support to someone facing this kind of discrimination, harassment, abuse? And then how can I support others in being active bystanders who just say, like, absolutely not, not on my watch, this is our community and what you're doing is wrong? Yes. It's still, um, I, I, don't want, I don't mean to sound like it's an easy thing to do. It takes practice and setting up spaces where people can practice is important. Yes. So how did you do this um, practically? Take us to the workshop. Sure. We, um, so this was a Zoom workshop, um, which I think is sort of getting kind of normalized <laughs> at this point. <laughs> and, and I think there's really great benefits to that. We're able to engage with people all over the place. Um, nobody has to get on a plane. Um, I think on the on the flip side of that, we lose the the connection that we have when we are in the same room. Um, I think that's a trade off every time. Um, so we we had some viewing parties ahead of um, ahead of the workshop, so people could gather to watch them watch the film in groups. Or they could watch it on their own. Um, we had a form people could fill out if they wanted to record thoughts. We wanted to make this um, really center reflective practice. So think about where you are. What does this film stir up in you? Um, how do you... Um, how, how do, what's your initial reaction? Um, is it disbelief? And we don't want to... We don't want to tell people how to feel. We want to know how they actually feel. And I think for many people, the film is very surprising. Um, for me, it was pretty tragic, but also very hopeful. Um, and so we, we had a place for them to record those thoughts. Um, and then we met on Zoom. Um, and we had a series of breakout rooms. So we did do some norm setting, which is important to do in these kinds of situations when you have people you don't necessarily know. Um, and so how do we want to work together? I think it uh, was really a central initial question. Um, and just making clear that this was everyone doing their own personal work um, and that we, we appreciated their willingness to be vulnerable and to admit that this work needed to be done um, and that we valued their time, um, that we would engage with people's ideas and call in rather than call out, really express how we were feeling and how we would like people to improve if they said things that hurt, um, which is, I think, an important distinction. I think one of the reasons people don't engage in this kind of work is that they're worried about being wrong and then being ostracized and yelled at and criticized. And while oftentimes criticism is important in those moments, um, civility is also important. And so how do we do both of those things? How do we educate while also being treating people like human beings, all of them, and engaging in civil dialogue um, and l listening to really understand where people are coming from. Um, we really emphasized a growth mindset that we believed all of us could do better um, and that we didn't expect everyone to know all the things that we wanted people to ask questions and feel comfortable with that. Um, and another really important point was that we believed that everyone should be moderating for equity. So listening to who's talking and paying attention to who's talking and um, stepping back if you find you're contributing more than you ought. Stepping forward if you find that you're not 
contributing enough or are reticent to contribute, but really pushing yourself to be an active learner. Um, one of the other things that we did was when we had, um, we separated our breakout rooms um, based on the pronouns that people reported to us when they registered. So we had what we had some groups of people who have um, he, him pronouns. And then the other groups were made of everyone else. So the he, him stayed together and everyone else um, was split into their, into the groups together. Um, and this was a very intentional choice. We were looking to make sure that the voices of people who did not identify in the he, him group were heard. And so when we shared, they went first. And um, we set up norms around that to ensure that voices were heard. So while this was an allyship training for men, we did not exclude anyone from participating. Um, this is work we all need to do. Yes. That's the fascinating thing for me is why listening to you how you organized the discussion all the time. I'm thinking, yeah, but as mathematician, we are not used to do that. We don't really listen. We don't, we are not ready to say that we don't know everything. No. We always have to pretend to know everything. Things like that. Sure. So the, the standard behavior as human beings is not as we behave usually as mathematician together with other mathematicians. Agreed. And we see the results of that. Yeah. I think um, I agree with you, and that has certainly been my experience. And I, I so deeply believe that, that we can engage as humans, that we can, we just don't. Right. And, and uh, recognizing that it is, yes, very uncomfortable as anything you've never tried before should be. Right. It's new. And so it ought to be a little bit uncomfortable. And if it's not, that's where you, that's the piece you lead into. Right. <laughs> like, why am I not uncomfortable? Maybe if I do a little bit more and push myself, because what we are used to doing is really pushing ourselves to think hard about things. Yeah, that's true. That's We one are of the used strong to that. points. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and really doing that deep dive and unpacking. Right? We're used to saying this is a this is a definition that doesn't quite make sense to me. I'm going to read slowly. I'm going to find examples. I'm going right? I'm going to read maybe I'm going to go to a different text and see if it's defined elsewhere differently, right? We're used to that kind of activity. It's just we're we're providing a different lens on an activity that we are all pretty pretty well used to doing. That hard deep thinking. Um but agreed, it's it's not it's not our usual skill set. We're flexing new muscles. Yes. And um, while doing this uh, workshop, what were, what were your experiences with it? So um, did things develop as you expected? Did you have expectations? I did. Um, did they, ex well, I think, well, first, this was our first one, and we hope to do many more. Um, and so what we know was that we got essentially early adopters. Right. The people who opted in to, to work on this were probably further along on what we would consider like an adoption spectrum of adopting inclusive practices and really attending to gender equity than sort of your average higher ed mathematician. Um, and so I think working in the small groups with people who are already further along is, is a benefit for a first, a first go, right? There's an, there's less pushback than there would be if we just grabbed a bunch of people and said, we're going to work on this, right? People, people at random that we didn't know from our community. Um, I think people understood that what we were asking them to do was become active agents of change, 
right? We, it was a, an absolute call to react in a way that moved equity forward. Um, and we did work around what, does, what courage does that take? How do we say, um, we define, I mean, we said, we define courage in this regard as building empathy, that that is something that is a courageous step for a mathematician to take, to build empathy with people who are being marginalized by the community that you are in, by the systems that have been built for only a small portion of the people trying to engage in the community. How do we build empathy with them? And part of that is listening to their stories. And part of that is leveraging the power that we have. So I can recognize as a, as a person with um, tenure and with, with rank and with power-ish as a department chair, right? And that I, that I have more power. And then it's up to me to make a decision about how to use that. I choose to use that to support colleagues of color, to support um, people who are being marginalized from the community. And I actually don't know if I'm doing a great job. I think there's lots of places where I could speak up and don't know how, and I'm still working on it. But that's a continual process of improvement. I think another piece that's hard for math- mathematicians in this regard is like we, we have to keep we have to keep working on this. This isn't a problem that we solve and then it's a check and it goes away. That this is a problem that will continue and continue, and the target is moving, and we're trying to solve a problem that is um, well defined for the people who are experiencing the problem and not as well defined for everyone else. Yeah, that's the thing is that. Also, the main task of the project is to show people who are not in in the same position to see how it feels in your position. And it's not just feeling, it's um, often really things which are objective. Yes. Yes, and even if you tell the story as one person, very often there is disbelief or there is lust. We don't have to take this so serious, they don't mean it, things like that. Yeah, but I think there... There are two types of people um, when they observe uh, bad things happening to others. The one type is, this would never happen to me. And the other part, oh, maybe this will happen to me. So I somehow this is helpful to have empathy, to see there is not such a big distance between you and the person who is treated so badly. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the persons who think this would never happen to me, it's hard to, to get them. It is. And it's really interesting. That's it's, there's a really powerful moment in, in the film in picture, a scientist where the some women are talking and they say, you know, we, we keep hearing men say that, that this gender disparity doesn't exist. This inequity doesn't exist. And it's, it's time we stop listening to that rhetoric because there's, There's plenty of evidence. We, we don't, it's just not because you haven't seen it doesn't make it true. Right. And when faced with those scenarios, those sentences often come out, well, in my experience, and then some nonsense statement about yeah. what doesn't happen. And what I've come to realize is that their experience is irrelevant, right? Because they're not on the marginalized side of this. So what we're looking for is building empathy um, for the folks who have been marginalized and fully recognize them. And we draw this out very early on in the workshop that we've made a choice to deal with gender equity, gender inequity, And that is not the only inequity, and we're not saying it's the most important one or the easiest or the hardest to solve. That's the one we felt we could address. There's so much more going on that needs addressing desperately. And 
it can't be the work of just a few people. Yeah, and especially the people who don't have so much power. Yeah, and I always observe this as, as something of an um, important step to make it visible to everybody that this is really a question of power. This is Not, a question of power. Yeah, because um, very often people try to put, uh, there are just stereotypes and we will overcome these stereotypes over time. But that's just, you know, one surface of the problem. But the deep core of the problem is really that the distribution of power is not okay. Correct. And it's so hard if you are on the short um, part of the bar. You need so much more power to change something than the person who is on the longer one. And so that's why to take the man helping us I think that's just a fair question to ask. I think it's fair to expect that of our colleagues. Yeah. Um, because this can't continue. Right? It's not good. It's not good for any of us. Um, and I recognize how much harder it is for colleagues who, who are navigating intersectional spaces um, not just in mathematics, not just in STEM, right? But in general, I, I don't, I don't personally have the power of like the big lever. It's going to move everything, but I have lots of little tiny ones and I can keep flipping them. Um, and I think that the the fatigue of this work is very real um, because it's hard to have to keep explaining yourself and justifying this work. Um, it's really interesting to me when I hear um, narratives about how mathematics is without culture yes. or that your gender <laughs> doesn't matter um, yeah. <laughs> because it's the subjective truth. It's such an interesting and completely false narrative. Um, and I'm just baffled by, by <laughs> when it comes out. I think, how, how, could, you, how could you think that? <laughs> where, where I don't understand. I, I, I'm genuinely curious as to what community they're watching, right? Because I want to understand where it's coming from. Um, I, I think... I don't ever want to say like uh, it, it's just it's so hard to understand and I I don't because it's so inward looking. I think that's what's challenging for me is is for people to say, well, I haven't experienced that kind of discrimination or I haven't seen that happen. Um I I want I want people to understand that it's then maybe you're not looking hard enough. Right. And just because it doesn't happen to you doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And what can all of our roles be to improve the community? Right. How do we say this, um, that diversity is important to us, um, that it's not just a matter of, um, of bean counting, right. That's, it's one of the, it's not just a number of like, we need more people of color in mathematics. It's not because we're trying to count people. It's because people's lived experiences, people's backgrounds, people's cultures play a huge role in the ways that they learn and the ways that they teach and the ways that they um, embody people who are, who are doing mathematics and what that can do for bringing in the next group of mathematicians. It all matters. And so if we're dismissive of diversity in mathematics, we are ruining the discipline for the future. We're ruining it. And if we say, well, we've been included, I've been included, I've always felt like I had a place, um, I would encourage people to think about that. Why is that? How have you created a space 
or, or melded into a space where you feel included, what happened? In some cases, well, what can you attribute to the space? What can you attribute to yourself? And that yes, all takes yes. empathy. That takes empathy because it takes facing the facts that we are not all the same. We do not all have the same experiences or privileges um, and that it has not been equitable. Yeah. The story which I see my male colleagues telling themselves often is that they just were welcome because they are so bright. Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure so that was it. It's a convenient story. It's super convenient. Yep. But, and you know what? I was a bright kid too. And I had college educated parents and I had and have continued to have a very robust social safety net. And my children have that too. And so what can I do to help people who don't? That's a power that I have. I have that power to, to help people who don't have that robust safety net for when they don't know what happens next. So what are your plans um, to continue with this workshop? Do you have an idea how often you want to do this? And if you want to um, change certain aspects of it? Well, <laughs> I, I think we need to run it several more times. Um, and really, uh, because of the ubiquity of Zoom at this point and the expectation um, that, I mean, people are used to this kind of workshop happening now. Um, I, I imagine that will happen in the next year or so, that we'll run several more iterations of the workshop um, And that's, that's our plan. Um, and beyond that, I think looking at who's, who's coming and how we might encourage more people to come and how we might um, make headway with people who are more resistant to this change. And to be honest, people are resistant to change, right? Part of this is just that that piece is hard. Right. And uh, so my scholarly work now isn't in mathematics. It's in it's in pedagogical change for in in educators at all levels of the system. And in higher ed, despite ample evidence that things like active learning and these evidence based practices are better for students. Scientists are still very slow to change, even in face of the evidence. And so here's another area where we're asking people to change. And maybe evidence isn't enough. I think collecting these stories and partnering with other people who are collecting these stories is a really important part. I think humanizing this practice is a really important part. That this isn't something that's happening to a handful of people at a faraway college, right? This is happening everywhere. This is happening at um, disciplinary meetings and conferences and department meetings. It's happening all the time. And it's because of its pervasiveness, it takes a real attention. And that's, that's a muscle we have to build paying attention all the time and being ready to step in all the time. Yeah, it's a completely different way to communicate, yes. Mm, to listen more and to have the courage also to talk to people where you have the feeling it didn't really feel right what was happening, so to understand their point of view, things like that. Yep. And to apologize. And to apologize, yes. And to say... Um, I didn't do that well. I can do better. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I hurt you, not I'm sorry if I hurt you. <laughs> right? The um, those are all very, yeah, I know. Those are all really hard things to do as humans. It's not a mathematician problem. It's a human problem. Um, and I don't know, I, like, What is the impact if we don't do this work? Right? I think that 
Nobody has time to do this. Nobody has, at this point, nobody has energy to do much of anything. But for me, I, I can't not do it. I can't imagine sitting back and letting things disintegrate around me for people who simply don't have the power and shouldn't be called upon to fix it themselves. So I have the feeling that this is a good moment to stop this conversation for today mm -hmm. and to thank you very, very, very much to tell us about your experiences because um, a lot of things which were in my mind somehow, somewhere very much um, on the background, you um, spoke out and um, probably I will have to listen into our conversation a few times and uh, take notes <laughs> uh, in order to have a better wording for the next time. I feel that I would have to step in and encourage other people to step in. And also I would like to encourage other people to follow this example. It's not really necessary to do the same, but to think about how you can build a group of people, especially uh, people who don't see all the things happening them in their own life, but to acknowledge that it hurts our beloved mathematics yes and so this would be great if this would be a result of having had this conversation with you thank you very much i hope so thank you so much for having me it was absolutely my pleasure I want to finish this podcast episode by giving a shout out to another podcast, namely the podcast Mathematically Uncensored. It's a podcast where the talk is real and complex, but never discreet. So really funny for mathematicians. It's hosted by Pamela Harris and Aris Winger, and they speak about things which concern minorities in the mathematical sciences. I was finding their podcast and I wanted to refer to it in the show notes. And of course, then I was a little bit curious and listened in just to get an idea. But it only took me one episode to get addicted to their warm and outspoken personalities. And maybe you will dig that too. So give them a listen.